Now what I want you to do is pick up your Bibles and uh, turn to the start of Matthew's Gospel. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab a pew Bible and turn to page 965. 965. Put your hand there and then grab all the pages to the left. What, what have we got to the left? What's the left of uh, Matthew's Gospel? The Old Testament. Uh, described in the Hebrew Scriptures as the, as the law, the prophets, the writings. Now, how would you summarize... All of that in one sentence of application. How would you summarize all of that in one sentence of application? Well, talk to the person next to you and have a go. One sentence. Oh, well done, you managed to do that quite quickly. <laughs> well, if you weren't quite sure, turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, and verse 12, page 971. Page 971. And before we read it, let's pray and ask God's help, shall we? Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself clearly to us in history, in the coming of your Son. And we thank you that you have given us this revealed word. Help us to know you. Lord, help us to respond by repentance and faith this day. Please fill us all with your Holy Spirit and give us willing hearts. In Christ's precious name, amen. We'll have a look at this verse. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So in everything, do to others what you'd have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. In breathtaking simplicity, Jesus summarizes the application of the Old Testament in one sentence. One simple statement, one axiom that we can take into life, a principle that we can apply to kind of almost every aspect of our life. In every situation, ask this question, how would I like to be treated? How would I like to be treated in this situation? What would I hope that people would do for me? Uh, we're normally quite good at working that out, don't you think? We kind of know what we would like 
how we'd like people to treat us. Well, Well, just imagine what that would be and then do that to others. Do that to the other person in front of you. There it is. And when we do this, we are living out the intention of the Old Testament with regard to our neighbor. It has some pretty big things to say about our relationship to God. But uh, that sentence doesn't really deal with that. You can go later in Matthew and hear Jesus summarizing the whole of the Old Testament again elsewhere. And he summarizes it this way. Love God, love neighbor. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. But in this summary here, he's dealing with how you summarize this application of the whole Old Testament with regard to your neighbor. Uh, Other rabbis and philosophers have a sort of a negative form of this. Rabbi Hillel put it this way. uh, What is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow creatures. Sort of the negative side of this. Confucius, apparently, had a saying, what you do not wish for yourself, do not do to others. And so it works out something like this, doesn't it? If you don't like being robbed, don't rob other people. If you uh, don't like being hated, don't hate other people. Uh, If you don't like being punched in the face, then don't punch other people in the face. That's the negative, sort of Confucius, Rabbi Hillel form of it. Now Jesus uh, takes it a bit more expansively than that, positively. And so what Jesus says here works out this way. If If you enjoy being loved, then love. If you enjoy receiving, then give. If you enjoy being appreciated, then appreciate other people. It's very simple. It's very profound. And if we're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, then this is the way that Jesus summarizes not only the Old Testament moral law, but also the Sermon on the Mount. We've come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, The the body of the sermon is um, sandwiched between these two statements. Back in 5 verse 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That was the beginning of the main part of his sermon. And it finishes with this uh, verse in chapter 7, verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you'd have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, this is uh, sometimes referred to as the golden rule. Because some chap a long time ago, some king, painted these uh, verses in gold in, in, his, in his room somewhere. So that's why it's called the golden rule, apparently. Yeah, that was vague, wasn't it? I, it didn't, I didn't bother giving you exact facts on that. Now, now, some people just love this part of Jesus' teaching. Uh, non-religious, uh, secular people want to applaud this. They want to promote this as the highest ideal of humanity. I don't know whether you've ever watched any of the TED lectures online. Um, there's lots of fascinating talks from leading scientists and thinkers and philosophers uh, all around the world. And they meet in various places, including Edinburgh. And uh, you have to pay an awful lot of money to go along to these things. And uh, you hear some of the top people summarizing their big ideas in about 10 to 15 minutes. 
and they're brilliant. They're online. You can see some fascinating ones there. Well, in 2008, the winner of the TED Prize was Karen Armstrong. And her big idea was that we should revive the golden rule. In a talk, she says that all the major world religions and philosophies basically end up saying something like the golden rule. And so, she argues, it's time for us to give up dogmatism, to give up thinking that religion is about believing things, and instead just do the golden rule. And for this reason, she started the Charter for Compassion, to bring about world peace as people commit to doing the golden rule. Now, what do you think about that? It's a worthy goal, isn't it? But I do think Karen is going to be disappointed. And that's because she's not fully listened to Jesus. What she's done is she's ripped this verse out of context and missed some pretty vital things that would shape this whole project that she's giving her life to. And I want to basically this morning look at the verse before and the verse after to help us see why, uh, what Jesus was really meaning by this. So let's look back at the verse before. This is a pretty fatal flaw to Karen's plan. Uh, the very verse before, verse 11. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We considered two weeks ago how amazing it, this encouragement is for us to come in prayer to God. But we also noted a couple of weeks ago, this casual aside, Jesus describes the, the problem with our human nature. Though you are evil. This is a fundamental problem to the Compassion Charter plan. See, compared to God, who is holy and infinitely good, our nature, according to Jesus, is evil. Later in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus will say this, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. We are selfish. We are self-seeking. I mean, we do like the idea of other people treating us how we would like to be treated. We like that idea, don't we? We're just not so keen about doing that for other people. In fact, quite often it really even passes our, our thoughts to do that for other people. That is our problem. It's our sin problem. It's our selfishness problem. Um, our great problem is that we don't want to live out the golden rule all the time. We don't. We're quite willing to please ourselves even if this means at times hurting others and rejecting God's words. Though you are evil, Jesus says. We have sinful, evil hearts that separate us from a, a holy God and it places us under his judgment. And our great need is not simply to have more compassion. We need conversion. Uh, we need forgiveness for the ways that we haven't kept the golden rule in the past and we need a brand new nature that's going to change us so that we desire to live that way and, and be freed from this obsession with serving self and living for self. Jesus did not come just to be a great moral teacher. He came to be our saviour. 
And on the night before Jesus was crucified, uh, while sharing the Jewish Passover meal, he explained the purpose of his death uh, as an act of salvation. He shared a glass of wine with them, and he said this, Drink, all of you, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. If we could just live the golden rule and everything would be great, why would God send His one and only Son to come and die upon a cross? No, we cannot save ourselves. We needed God to intervene to come and act in salvation and to bring the possibility of a new creation, of new hearts that want to love Him and obey Him and serve Him. And so people who think like Karen Armstrong that um, all the world religions and philosophies basically boil it down to saying exactly the same thing. Really what they want to do is they end up wanting to flatten down all the differences and just this incredible reductionism just to say it's all about the golden rule. And so they want to say, well, everything's equally valid. And what I want you to see is not just the problem of, e of our evil hearts in the verse before, but it falls foul of the problem of immediately what Jesus goes on to in verses 13 and 14. Because Jesus points us exactly in the opposite direction to that way of thinking. Look at verse 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. See, instead of saying that there are lots of ways that all head in the basic same direction and the same destination, Jesus is not saying that, is he? Quite clearly, he's confronting us with a choice. And as this sermon ends, uh, he just keeps. Uh, telling story after story to confront us with the choice. There are two types of teachers with two types of fruits. There's two types of builders, those who build their house on the sand and those who build it on the rock. And here Jesus says there are, there are two ways. In fact, he, in these verses alone, he, he points out that there are two gates, two different roads, two different destinations and two groups of people on them. And I want to just spend uh, the remaining time just considering these two verses. Now, my job as a preacher is not to be politically correct and say what fits with our present culture. My job is to be faithful to what Jesus says here. And uh, if you have any respect for Jesus, you should listen to what he has to say because it's very confronting. It is challenging. Jesus teaches that there are ultimately two destinations. Verse 13, he talks about the road that leads to destruction. And the other verse 14, the road that leads to life. Now all through this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus um, has talked about the kingdom of heaven and the reality of hell. Turn back to chapter 5, verse 22. But I tell you, 
that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. Now note this. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Well, look at verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Verse 30, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Later in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 10, he says this, Do not be afraid of the one who kills the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, while some people will confidently say that after you die, that's it. That there's, uh, there's nothing after, to, after that. There's nothing that follows that. Jesus says that they are wrong. And, and while others might concede, okay, I think there is something after death, but actually it's going to be a wonderful heavenly experience for everyone, Jesus warns us that they are wrong. There are two eternal destinies. One that is glorious and one that is terrifying. If the offer of, of heaven is of eternal life, then the reality of hell is also eternal. Now, if you were woken up in the middle of the night and you looked out your window and you saw your neighbor's house was on fire, what would you do? What would you do? My guess is that all of us would run out and start banging on the door and, and, and ringing the doorbell and pounding and saying, wake up, wake up, get out of the house, it's on fire, get out. That's what we would do. And Jesus, who is uh, the most loving person that has ever been, he is faithful to warn us. He is lovingly warning us that there is the danger of the fire of hell. And he wants to warn us not to go there. And he says there is a decision to be made. And there is an eternal destination that we'll end up with. Either the wonderful glory of heaven or the eternal horrors of hell. Is he trying to frighten us? Yes. He is. Because it's real. And it is loving to warn people of that reality. I want you to see that uh, to these two destinations, there are two different roads. There is the, the broad road. The broad road says it doesn't really matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you do. It's the broad road. Uh, there are no curbs. There are no boundaries. Uh, celebrate diversity, uh, tolerance, permissiveness. All religions, all philosophies, equally valid. It's the broad road. Go with your desires. Go with your heart. Go with your feelings. It doesn't really matter. There's no effort required on the broad road. 
The broad road is where you take a pledge to be true to yourself and have the most fun you can before you die. That, that's the broad road. But Jesus warns us that the broad road is the one that leads to destruction. In contrast, the, the road that leads to life is what? What does it say? It's narrow. There are boundaries. There are curbs. Because God has clearly revealed himself to us in history and through his word. Um, Jesus was clear when he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a narrow way, isn't it? He's not saying, I am a way, a truth, pick, pick your option, pick whatever you fancy. No, it is a narrow way. He's quite clear. I am the way. You see, we've not been left in the dark to kind of make up our own stories, uh, to make up our own realities, to imagine God how we'd like to imagine. We can read his word and find out the truth about God in all his holiness, in all his righteousness. He is a demanding God. He, he cares about how we live. He's a moral God. He's a holy God. He's a righteous God. It is a narrow way. And if Jesus is indeed the Son of God, if he did die and was raised again, then actually what I need to do is put my faith and trust in him alone to receive his salvation and begin to follow him in that narrow way. I need to bring my thoughts and my affections and my will uh, uh, into submission under him. He's the king of this kingdom of heaven. It requires, of course, no effort to go on the broad road. I simply need to float down the stream, just follow the whims of public fashion and opinion and go with the crowds. But as you go the narrow ways to swim against the stream, it is the narrow way that goes against the flow. But it is the road that leads to life, Jesus says. There are two destinations, there are two roads, and there are, there he speaks of two gates. The gate on the broad road that leads to destruction is what? It's wide. It's wide. Crowds can throng through it at once. Uh, it's easy to get through the gate. There's no restrictions. There's no difficulty. While the gate that leads to life is a narrow gate. You know what? We enter the narrow gate individually. You don't get in because your family are Christians. You don't get in because you go to a Christian nation, because you were born in a particular country. You go in individually. We enter one by one, like a turnstile gate. You know, when you go to um, a football game or a rugby game, they have those incredibly tight turnstile gates. You can only squeeze through one at a time. They want to check each ticket as you go through. They want to make sure... You pay. And actually, I've, I've been through some turnstile gates where actually you have to take your bags off. You can't even get through there. You have to just squeeze through. Well, that's the narrow way. 
The narrow way is where you have to leave your pride behind. You have to humble yourself. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you cannot save yourself. Believe the Lord Jesus Christ. Even if it's not particularly popular. You have to take off your pride. You have to take off your self-ambition. Take off the old luggage of the sinful life if you're going to pass through the narrow gate. Pass up any confidence I have in my own righteousness, my record, my achievements. And Jesus, uh, in John's gospel, makes it clear what he means by the gate. He said this in John chapter 10, verse 9. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Whoever enters through me will be saved. The road that leads to eternal life is entered through the narrow gate of faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way in. There's no other gate. You must come through the cross of Christ. That is the road that leads to life. It's not through some special achievement on our part. We can't make ourselves worthy enough. It's not about how bad we've been or how good we've been. All has to be put aside to simply confess our sins and lay hold of Christ by faith. To trust Christ alone is the way of salvation. Jesus made it clear how how we do this in the verses before, back in chapter 7, verse 7. It's as simple as this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. Simply knock on heaven's door. Come in prayer. Ask him. Ask him to forgive us for our sins. Say sorry to him for uh, our ignoring of him, our rebellion of him, and receive this offer of salvation. And we can pass through onto the narrow way that leads to life. Now, many are drawn to listen to the teaching of Jesus Christ and, and are fascinated by his life, his miracles, his compassion and love. But you know what? This is not enough. It's not enough. That's why Jesus urges the hearers, verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. It's a command, it's an imperative. It's something that you must do. Enter through the narrow gate. Over the past nearly four years now, I've seen people who've come on a regular basis and joined this crowd on a Sunday and who at times have seemed fascinated and moved by what they've heard Sunday by Sunday. They find some encouragement in it. They find some joy in it. But you know what? It's not enough to just listen. We must respond. Enter through the narrow gate, Jesus would urge you. You know, it's been fantastic to see people engage with our Glad You Ask courses and with our Christianity Explored courses. It's been great to see people grow in their understanding and, and say, well, yeah, I didn't really understand what his death was about, but now I do understand. 
I, I didn't really understand what discipleship was about. Now I do understand. But it is not enough to assent to those truths. You must enter through the narrow gate. And my question to you today is, have you done this? Have you done this? Have you done it? Can you hear Jesus calling you today? Enter through the narrow gates. Perhaps there's people here and, 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 and in the time, times past you've been stirred to see the wonderful truth of the gospel. Uh, you, your heart's been warmed and you've come up to the line but you've thought, I'll do it another day, another time. And I, I want to say to you, you do not have any guarantees that there will be another time, that there will be another day. Enter through the narrow gate Today. Not many find the narrow gate. And by God's gracious providence, here you are today. There's hundreds of thousands of people in Edinburgh today, and they've not found themselves here. They've not found themselves in a place where someone has held open to them the, the gospel and, and, and said, look, you can, you can have all your sins forgiven. You can have a brand new nature. You can be right with God. Uh, they haven't had this opportunity today, but you have had it. Will you heed the call of Christ? Enter through the narrow gate. The broad road is easy. Everybody is on it. It's going to be another fun day for the world today. You know, we may have finally a men's winner in the Wimbledon. We might have a uh, 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 you know, we've got Lewis Hamilton doing Grand Prix. The Rolling Stones sang all their songs again. People got excited about it. None of those achievements will count on the day of judgment. As you stand before God, God will say, What did you do with my son? I sent him to die for you. What will you do with him? Did you not have the opportunity to hear what, what I've done for you through my son? Well, you, you, you can't say that you didn't hear. You heard today. What are you going to offer him on that day? Oh, I played Glastonbury. I, I won Wimbledon. I, I, I got pole position on the Grand Prix. It means nothing on the day of judgment. Enter through the narrow way. Can I urge you to to come to Christ today if you've not done that before can I urge you to do that there's no doubt he'll receive you there's no doubt that although the way is hard it is the way to life there are many hardships and difficulties on the way but there is great joy of knowing that Christ is your Lord and he's leading you on To know your sins forgiven. To know that uh, guilt is removed. No shame is need to be hanging over you. is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I want to offer you that opportunity today. I'm going to put a prayer up on the screen. This is a prayer that you could use today to get right with God. Take the time to have a look at it. Dear God, I, I admit that I'm a sinner walking on the broad road to destruction. I believe that Jesus is your son who came to die in my place so I can be forgiven. 
Please forgive me and help me to walk the narrow road of following Jesus as my Lord. Maybe there's some people today and you know that you need to pray this today to enter through the narrow gate. Let's bow our heads. And I will pray this prayer slowly and give time for you to echo those words in your own heart and mind. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner walking the broad road to destruction. I believe that Jesus is your son. who came to die in my place so that I can be forgiven. Please forgive me. And help me to walk the narrow road of following Jesus as my Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today and you meant it, then today has been a wonderful day. Um, God promises to forgive all our sins and give us a brand new life that goes on into eternity. But as a baby Christian, we'd love to help you grow in your faith. And hopefully around you, in your pews, you might find a little Connect card. Uh, I don't have one on me right now. Let's see if I've got one in my Bible. Yes, here we go. A little connect card. And you could uh, just, on the back of that, tick the box saying, I pray to accept Jesus today. And put your name and details down. Give it to someone with the connect label on or put it in the basket on the way out or give it to me at the end. And we'd love to know uh, that you've done that today. And we would love to help you grow uh, as you start the Christian life. But as I close, I want to remind those who are already Christians of one more thing from the text this morning even as the organist was about to play hold off I haven't finished yet I haven't finished yet they'll start playing if I go too long I know that but Jesus points to the fact that there are two groups did you notice that the broad road is full of many people many enter through it it says but the narrow way it says only a few find it. Now here's the paradox. When you read the book of Revelation, you'll know on the final day there will be countless multitudes, millions of people worshipping the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven, part of the new heavens and the new earth. But the way it often feels uh, for followers of Jesus Christ is as we walk this narrow way, there are so few of us. Hundreds of thousands in Edinburgh have no interest or care or concern today. And we are such a relatively few number. And this is often one of the hard aspects of the Christian life. We long, that every, we long like everybody else to be popular, to be well thought of, to be in the mainstream. But you know what? Jesus warns us that we should not expect that to be the case. Few Find it, he says. 
The whole sermon started with Jesus um, seeing the large crowds. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now he saw the crowds. He went up on the mountainside. Um, Chapter 4, verse 25, large crowds from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the regions of the Jordan followed him. Massive crowds, news was spreading everywhere. Crowds were coming to Jesus, and Jesus sees the crowds, and he withdraws up the mountain with his disciples, and he wants to warn them, it is not going to be like that for you. Few find the narrow way. We of all people should be those who keep the golden rule. We should be happy to sign up at least in part to Karen Armstrong's agenda. Yes, we're following Jesus. We are committed to the golden rule. To be people of compassion and love. But we cannot pretend that every other religion, every other philosophy is equally valid and true. We know that actually we can only keep it by faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And you see, the mark of discipleship is a willingness to be narrow rather than broad. Now, this is a huge PR problem because no one likes to be called to be narrow, do they? Oh, the problem with that person is very narrow. Ooh, we just don't like it, do we? Doesn't like the sound of it. Very narrow. Not like us. We're, we're broad. See, we want to be broad, don't we? But Jesus says... Real discipleship is a willingness to be considered to be, to be narrow. We've passed through the narrow gate. We're walking the narrow path that leads to life. And of course, as we say to this world, you know what? You're not all right. You can't just go down the broad road. It matters. You need to come on the narrow path. Jesus is the only way. What response are we going to get to that? We're not going to be universally loved, brothers and sisters. And this is what this sermon is about. Go back to chapter 5 and verse 10. He's preparing his disciples for exactly this. And I say this to encourage us even if we're feeling a bit isolated and a bit in the minority. This is what it is to follow Christ. Verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray, shall we?